Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. And in case you didn't know who we are, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, you can find a bunch of Ben's stuff on a bunch of other websites, including uh, Haggerty.com, New York Daily News, uh, Auto Guide, Auto Trader. What am, what am I missing here? Oh, and The Post, right? National Post? Uh, well, maybe soon. Uh, that's for sure. That I think I was in the Toronto Star this weekend too, Sammy, which you, you uh, gave me a heads up on. Yeah, that's right. And um, you can find my stuff on YouTube uh, under the Auto Guide uh, video channel, as well as on the Toronto Star as well. But you know what? We're going to stop talking about all these other publications and just get straight to this podcast, where we talk about all of the weird stuff that's been going on in the industry, as well as some of the very interesting cars that we've been driving recently. So, Ben, I think you have a 600-horsepower reason to go first between the two of us. Tell me a little bit about this vehicle you've been driving. Well, I spent a week with the 2018 BMW M5, and it's a vehicle that I had the chance to drive in the past. I was in Portugal for the launch in December of last year, so I guess about seven months ago. And mm. in Portugal, I drove it on the highway around town a little bit, but mostly on the racetrack at, Est at Estoril, which is an old Formula One track that has a very rough surface and a very fast front straight. It was an interesting uh, chance to see what the M5 is really capable of. Like Sammy said, it, it's a 500 or sorry, a 600 horsepower twin turbo V8 engine, 550 mm. pound, 553 pound feet of torque, it has an eight-speed automatic, and for the first time ever. I, I can't believe I just said that. Everyone's always railing against for the first time ever. Anyway, the M5 comes with all-wheel drive, which is kind of a big deal to a lot of people. Not such a big deal if you're if you're just in the market for a general super sedan, because I mean the E63 has all-wheel drive, the S7, yeah. R, sorry RS7 has all-wheel drive. Yeah. Uh, but for BMW, they haven't really done an all-wheel drive M5 before. Right. So that was that was kind of a thing when it happened. <laughs> so, okay, you've got this really cool chance to drive the M5 before on a track where you can really explore 600 horsepower. What's it like when you've got your license on the line at home with uh, that much power? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because it's not really my license being on the line that was the issue. <laughs> It's the fact that you're I, – I live in a city. Uh, Montreal has 3.5 million people, and it's an island, so things can get very congested, especially when there's tons of construction going on, which is kind of the natural state of affairs in Montreal over the last three or four years. So it's – it's more of a question of what's it like to drive a 600-horsepower car when you can't really exercise the 600-horsepower in any meaningful way. And for the M5, it becomes a, an even more interesting question because this is really the first M car that is completely programmable by the driver. There's mm -hmm. so many different things you can do with the car to sculpt how it drives. It, there's some parts of it are great and I appreciate that they're there and there's some parts of it that feel a little overwrought like maybe things are, have become more complicated than they really needed to be okay that's so that's like it's like a double-edged sword this car has come into like the the modern day and is offering one a, a very advanced engine uh, a very fancy powertrain and then much more a way to um, adjust the vehicle to your needs and your your desires if you're willing to do that right like is there a way though to just you know like a, a regular drive mode settings that allow you to go from soft to hardcore with like a couple of in, like indentations no there's <laughs> not no so that's the thing uh if you want to get the m5 to drive how you want to drive it you have to make use of the program 
the programming capabilities. So uh, yes, there is a sport mode and a sport plus mode, but there's also modes for the suspension. There's modes for the steering. There's You can turn it into a rear-wheel drive car if you want to, but in order to do that, in order to disable all-wheel drive, you also have to disable stability control completely. It's a whole step-by-step process. It's not something where you like you push the stability control button and it turns off. It's You, you, you do that. You go into the iDrive menu. You choose two-wheel drive, and it tells you, are you sure because you're going to die? And then you click yes, and then you sign a waiver. And then once, the, <laughs> once you fax the waiver... It has an in-car fax machine. Once you fax yeah, that yeah, waiver that. to BMW and you get it, you get a return receipt. Then it lets you go into rear-wheel drive with stability control completely what off. If, what's the name of that M, that fax machine? BMW M fax M fax M fax M prototype. Uh, so it, it's complicated. Like if you're at a traffic stoplight and you and you want to do what you want to do, you want to get into a specific mode. It's like a, it's a really complicated handshake that you have to master. <laughs> do you think you can hand you? Do you think you can go from like everything on to everything off or whatever you want to describe it? Like go from from very docile M5 to hardcore M5 during the span of uh, a stoplight? No, and no, for, really. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, there's a way around this, and this is where oh, the programming. Right. This is where the programming comes in. So there are two M buttons on the steering wheel, and they're they're red buttons. They're they're towards the top. And you can completely assign a vehicle profile to each of these buttons. And that's very helpful because you're going to need to do that. Because uh, trying to figure out everything, uh, trying to figure out the order you have to do everything in to get to where you want to go, is just going to be too frustrating on a regular basis. So I programmed one of the buttons to be sport plus everything, rear-wheel drive with the traction control off. And I programmed the other button to be sport everything with the stability control set to sport as well, which gives you a little more leeway. Right. And uh it, and it also all-wheel drive or rear wheel drive? In in all wheel drive because the okay. like I said, the only way to go to rear wheel drive is to turn everything off. There's everything no other off. way. And that's frustrating for reasons I'll get into later on. Okay. I, I believe I talked about it uh, back in December when we were when I first drove mm-hmm. the car. But the, it, 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 on top of all these driving modes, the transmission also has three modes for shifting. Oh right, yeah. And there's a little button like on top. BMW, most BMWs have like a sport mode for their transmission. You like nudge it to the left or something like that, yeah, right? You go does, to a sport mode. This does not have that. This has a button, two buttons on top of the shifter, and there's three little icons that go up or down, like bars, that tell you the how hard it's going to shift and how soon it's going to shift. So you have to adjust that as well. So that's included when I program in the M buttons. All of that is taken into account. So honestly, the M buttons, they save you from pushing conservatively seven buttons to, <laughs> to get – I'm not even exaggerating – to get to one specific configuration of the car. That is complicated, yeah. man. That is yeah. that is not something I've encountered in any other BMW. Yeah, but those M buttons are shortcuts to whatever mode that you need to do, right? Like – so you're okay with as long as you program those modes. Those yeah, as modes. long as you're okay with having those two modes. Uh, it's like what? If you go to the dealership when you buy the car, I'm sure the uh, the dealership. Well, I'm sure the service guy might might consider helping you out with that, right? Yeah, I'm sure there's a fee you can pay and they can do everything you want. <laughs> but I'm just <laughs> just talking about like if you have the car, like it's like you can't just put it in sport. You know, like how the old M5s used to have that sport button that would give you like extra power. And right. whatnot. Well, this it was like it was like a tiny little button on the steering wheel. It yeah, the, really, that it was M really, button. It was really like in like nondescript. It was uh, it was uh, inconspicuous. Well, so the M the the M five has moved beyond that into like yeah. a much more complicated world of M buttons. And that's super M buttons. They look like reverse paddles, don't they? Yeah, they do. That's exactly. <laughs> that's a very good way of putting it. So, uh, 
I'm kind of I don't know how I feel about it because <laughs> no because like when you're on a track and and you you want one specific setting that makes sense because it's a, it's a controlled environment you know what you're gonna do but if you're out on the road and you're tooling around and you're like trying to fine tune the car for that specific instance there's a lot that you have to do to there's get a lot to... to consider it's like those times when you have like a what did I say about the Lincoln seats that have forty adjustable seats and you're yeah, like, like how there's way you... too many there's way too how how do I know this is perfect right now that's crazy that's like forty is just way too much but um it, so but yeah if you have this many settings to adjust for your for your car. To behave in like an M vehicle should, I feel like you just get annoyed after a while and you'd be like, yeah, this is the way it's going to go now. Well, and I feel like there's not another, I don't think any of its competitors ask you to do the same thing. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're onto something there. Um, I have, I, I mean, I really want to know what was it like though driving around town in, 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 a, in, a, in a city where there are, I'm assuming there's some potholes or, or there's, there's <laughs> drive in, undisciplined drivers on the road when you're not driving on a racetrack and uh, in, in a very serene part of uh, Europe. So if the car is in just comfort mode, I, I, I can't remember if it's actually called comfort mode, the, the base mode that you're in, there's an efficiency mode and then there's the regular mode and I believe it's called comfort. So. Okay. It feels pretty pretty normal. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's chomp, chomping at the bit to to surge forward and do crazy stuff all the time. It's right. it feels very controlled. Um, one thing I like about you know it's it's starting to get a little um, out of hand, but I like how on modern sports cars and sports sedans you can have overrun from the exhaust so that it sounds yeah. nasty and snarls all the time. So the yeah. M5 has an active exhaust like that, and you can push. Uh, in addition to the M buttons, you can push the button on the uh, the center console, and I like the fact that it stays on all the time. If you leave it on all the time, like if you turn the car back on, it remembers that you wanted the oh, loud yeah. exhaust. That's but, what I was going to ask you about those uh, the M buttons and the drive modes. Like when you set it up, does it start the same way you left it? It will never start in two wheel drive traction control off mode. That's it. That's as far as I know. Okay. But uh, so the the thing about <laughs> the active exhaust though is I could never predict when I was going to get the burbles. Like sometimes it forced me to rev really high with the paddle shifters to get mm. them, and then it would, then when I would take my foot off the throttle, I get the, the the throaty sound. Other times, uh, when I downshifted, I would get it, but then another time I would downshift and I would get nothing, and it didn't seem to be really linked to what mode I was in. It was really confusing. All I wanted was to sound like a badass, <laughs> and I couldn't predictably make the car do that, and that was weird. Like I haven't had that experience either. So. That was the only real foible I found with the car. Other than that, it, it, it was very easy to drive if you kept everything in normal mode. If you went to Sport or Sport Plus, mm -hmm. it started to get a little janky. Like, it started to hold gears a really long time, sometimes unpredictably long uh, at low speeds. Okay. And I'd have to shift out with the, the paddle shifters myself to kind of keep moving forward. Um, other than that, uh, it was, you know, it's a very big, very heavy car. And you really notice that um, when you're out in traffic with it, like you're in such a it's such a crazily powerful vehicle mm -hmm. that you're aware of just how much mass you're dealing with and how it's incredible how quickly you can accelerate that mass. Like it's really an achievement that this car is this fast. I mean, zero to 60 comes in 3.2 seconds in this car. You get all 553 pound-feet of torque at 1800 RPM. Like I can imagine it being feeling feeling quite substantial um just asking for for you to get going right yeah i mean in in the sport modes it really wants to be driven hard i i did take it out of town and do that a little bit i mm -hmm. mean how could you not but it, it's <clears throat> i mean 
the car is an achievement. Mm-hmm. It is very impressive. What for a car that big to feel this fast and to feel this like like it's not that big? And and not just for a car though you do feel that it's big, but not just for a car that big to be that fast, but for a car that comfortable to be that fast. Like this is honestly a car you could drive every day and have no problems with, and you can okay. take friends around with it. I mean, we've talked extensively about the five series in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is this is all of that. It has everything that the old five that the other five series has. It, you don't there's not really any sacrifice that comes with the M5 other than fuel economy uh, and price. But what I will say that, and I didn't really think this too much when I first drove it back in December, but after having spent more time with it, it feels very similar to other cars in its class. There's nothing about the M5 that I feel is dramatically different from an E63 or or an RS7 or you know a CTSV. I, I wow. actually I take that okay. back. I feel like the CTSV has, still has the rear-wheel drive personality, um, and it's lighter, I believe, than than the other cars. Yeah. But it's also terms, less expensive. Yeah. Less expensive than its rivals. Yeah, but in terms of in terms of <clears throat> standing out from the Germans, there's mm-hmm. nothing about it necessarily that makes me go, hmm, this is really individually BMW. You know, like well, when you drive like an... that, I, I think you, I, I mean, I don't want to disagree with you like really strongly here, but I think the fact that it's so customizable and you have those shortcuts to get to, that's a distinctly BMW like um, feel where you can be like, you can dial it in exactly how you want. And you I, I would agree it. with you if any of the other M cars did that. Maybe but that's they... what's coming up next. I think this is the latest M card. Oh, I hope not. Yeah, I don't think this is something you would want to. I, I so this I, character, tra- this very unique character trait, you think should be isolated only to the five series. It was an experiment that what you think has failed. Well, I I don't think it's. I'm not going to go that far. I just think that well, first of all, there's no other all-wheel drive uh, M series in in the, outside of the the X5 and the X6, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not something like this whole. The, disable the all-wheel drive system for rear-wheel drive thing is is a fairly unique thing just to this car. Um, okay. I guess that's unique if you want to talk about it compared to uh, Mercedes and Audi. But for me, I'm more talking about the experience, not the okay. features. I'm talking about the fact that when I drive the car, it doesn't feel uniquely BMW. It doesn't feel special. It feels very, very, very good, mm-hmm. and it feels extremely quick, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have personality. And, and do I, you think that the E63 and the RS7 and the CTSV have some personality in I think in the their CTSV favor? definitely has personality. I think the E63, I mean, I haven't driven the latest E63, so okay. I, I feel a little uh, like I'm speaking out of turn. I have, but only on the track. Okay. And it was uh, it was very quick. It was very surprising, and it was a car that made its mass feel transparent, like completely but, non-existent. I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, I mean, BMW went from a rear-wheel drive design that had a manual transmission available to mm-hmm. an all-wheel drive design that's auto-only, which is exactly like every one of its competitors from Germany. Right. You know, you and know, I mean, I think I agree with you in this sense too. Like, there used to be V10 versions of this car. There used to be some like really standout elements of the the five series in specific to like performance, I think, and and the driving feel. And now instead of that, we're getting. I mean, I've said this before in five series uh, conversations with you. It seems like all the things they're packing into a, into the five series is not quite must have features, but they're kind of like gimmicks. And we've discussed with like uh, things like gesture controls or that fancy key that allows you to walk the car around. Um, <laughs> and, and those aren't those aren't like 
standout features for a car that's a hundred thousand dollars and it's supposed to be a performance sedan right yeah i i mean if you go to if you buy this car to drive really fast with it and go to the track with it then you're not going to be disappointed it's going to do all right. those things and it does them well the, mm. i just think that something has been lost in terms of the distinctiveness that the car used to have and whether that matters or not i mean bmw is going to sell them right it's this is the flagship m car there's nothing above this car i mean i i'm sure they're going to do an m8 at some point but yeah. until that until that happens this is this is the full boat m this is everything the the encapsulation of the brand i think is is in this car of so the m brand right yeah yeah, okay. so that that's kind of interesting to me that this is what the car is like now. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I wrote about when, when I first drove the car, BMW has always been willing to experiment with the 5 Series um, in when it comes out in M form. Like, the, the M5, the E34 M5 was very different from the E39. It went from six-cylinder, hand-built car to a mass-produced V8 car, mm -hmm. and then they went to a V10 car after that. I mean, these are three dramatically different cars within the space of three generations. So the fact that they've added all-wheel drive and they've added these customizable drive modes, that's, that's you know par for the course for BMW. It's not a question of traditionalism and um, doing things the way they've always been done because that's not how the M5 has been managed by the company. It's, it is the showboat for M. So they always try to do something interesting with it. And I just think that maybe the, the cars are so homogeneously amazing <laughs> in <laughs> its segment that there's nowhere else to go. It's like, okay, here is your very easy to drive 600 horsepower all-wheel drive super, super machine. Right. Uh, you can't complain about anything because there's nothing to complain about. And here's a bunch of gimmicks and gadgets and stuff that we think you might you might find interesting too. Okay, I have I have a very strange um, tangent to go off on here. If you didn't, I mean, a lot of people have said that BMWs maybe lost their way or that this M brand is not as awesome as they used to be, just for the reasons that you've discussed. But there's another performance. I think it's a performance brand within bmw called alpina and you can get something called a b6 grand coupe which is a six series a four-door six series um with 600 horsepower that costs hundred and twenty-four thousand dollars, which is i guess a, a good chunk more than the than the um m5 which starts at 102,000. but you get something that is much more exclusive and you think there's um a benefit in something like that I think that that's for people who want to drive something that other people don't have. Exactly. Okay. That's what I think Alpine is all about. And, and it, they're not they're not yeah. really a performance division of BMW. I mean, they were outside tuners, and mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if BMW bought them or if they just have a partnership. But uh, it's yeah, it's 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 kind of like the bespoke version of BMW. And with that with that in mind, would that make it more? Um have more of like a, a special feel to it. I mean, that, it, inherently that would be the case, but you're saying that there's a chance that it just wouldn't have the same performance attributes that an M5 would have, right? I don't think they have anything like the same level of engineering uh, as the M5. I think that's the M5's kind of on a pedestal there. It's uh, Alpine is not okay. at that level with the, the B6. I think it's something worth thinking about uh, just a little bit because the Alpina uh, B6 and the B7 are very special vehicles that get a lot of attention. And I'm not sure that M vehicles have that cachet anymore. And the M5, while incredibly um, impressive, just seems to be lacking that, could be lacking that, um, I don't know, that very special feature that some of the other cars, some of its rivals have. Well, I think Alpina is a name that's really not known very well outside of a small group of enthusiasts. I think mm -hmm. if, I think way more people know what M is. So I, I'd have to argue that they're the more successful brand that has more meaning for the for BMW. Okay. 
Um, so, I mean, pretty pretty positive. It sounds pretty positive. You can yeah, look they, at they, this the, car. The, the car is great. I mean, it's it's ridiculously great. But how how crazy is it that we live in a world where a car that's ridiculously great just doesn't stand out as having much of a personality? I know. I agree with you. And I don't know what to. I don't know how to. I don't know how to continue with this like sort of discussion, this thought, because there's a lot of there's a lot of changes to this vehicle in comparison to the rest of the M badge or uh, brand. For example, um, let's take a look at the M3 and the M4. They both come with, they can be equipped with a manual transmission, but their automatic is actually a dual clutch. And this car does not use a dual clutch. It uses a normal eight-speed automatic. Does it feel uh, sporty? Or yeah, it feels does... it feels very sporty. And to be honest, that set, that dual clutch unit in the M3 and the M4 is terrible. Okay. It is the worst part of that drivetrain. So I think BMW made, made the a right very... choice there. Oh, of course. Okay. And if you look back, I mean, the the V10 uh, dual clutch or single clutch, whatever it was, right. that the, the not... transmission they had within in the in that generation of the M5 was also terrible. So yes. the, the the companies learned from its mistakes. And that dual clutches are not our jam, are not going to be our jam anymore. Well, I, um, I mean, if they, if if you can do the same thing with a less complicated and lighter transmission like a standard clutch torque converter automatic, why why would you not do that? Yeah, uh, I I do think it's very interesting the way you describe though. You know, this is the Halo M vehicle right now, and for it to not have, uh, or for you, us to not know what the next M will will take from the M5, um, going forward, will is a very interesting. It's a it's a it's a very interesting thought. Um, well, if they make an if they make an M version of the eight series, it will definitely be almost identical to the M five. I would think. I I think you would have all wheel drive and an automatic transmission, mm-hmm. and probably twelve and eight cylinder engines. And uh, I don't think cool. you'd have that. Re- What's that? Twelve cylinders. Yeah, I think cool. so. I mean, otherwise, I mean, you have to look at it this way. If there's going to be an M six then the M6 is going to have the same engine as the M5. So if you make an M8, why would you buy an M8 unless it had something special? So I, might, I think they're, they're going to have sound, to do something. I might sound really dumb here, but I thought that the 8 series was just replacing the 6 series completely. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> I mean, we still have the 6 series GT. We have the 6 series Grand Coupe. I mean, that, right. those, aren't, those aren't necessarily going away. So the, the 8 series is something else again. <laughs> but I, I always feel like those 6 series vehicles that you described are very close to, in, in nature to the 5 series, while the 8 series looks like a whole new different vehicle, like its own platform and stuff. Well, the 6 series has always been the same platform as the 5 series. Oh, okay. I thought it shared more than just um, – I thought, I thought it shared more than just the powertrain. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Was, 5 and 6 are the same platform. Oh, okay. So that's what I'm saying. And the eight would be, and I, and that's what I mean. The eight would be different and more differentiated. So yeah, which is my argument. So if you need to differentiate it from the six, you have to add something special in the drivetrain department. Okay. Um, you have to kind of like Hellcat the 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 M8. <laughs> it, has to, it has to be crazy. I mean, you're already at 600 horsepower with the the five series. Where mm-hmm. do you go from there? Is the M8 750 horsepower? <laughs> I mean, in theory, the M8 is going to compete against the S63 Coupe, right? Yes. And, I mean, am I mistaken? Or the S65, sorry. Yeah, is there a 65 as well? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's where you get your V12. And, I mean, potentially, uh, if an Lexus LC and maybe an LCF shows up, those would be perfect rivals as well, I think. Really stylish uh, stylish Grand Touring style um Coops, right? I I think Lexus would like them to be rivals, but I don't think that Lexus will be able to ask anywhere near the money that BMW is going to ask for the M8. That's true. 
Um, I want to go on and talk about um, the cars that I drove. Um, I actually did a comparison between a BMW and a Genesis. And in particular, I I brought up the uh, BMW 340 as well as the Genesis G70 Sport, which has the turbocharged six-cylinder engine and all-wheel drive. So in the 340 has a turbo straight six and uh, X-Drive as well. And our vehicle also had, um, our BMW also had two stages of M performance packages. One was a normal uh, suspension and um, brake kit. And the other one was something that I think is very unique and uh, is a performance power and sound kit, which includes an exhaust kit as well as additional power and torque. So how much, kind of like, how much did those two kits add to the, the price of the car? Uh, I don't have the spec sheet with me. It's with uh, one of my colleagues, but um, the car ended up costing uh, 68,000 Canadian and close to 60 or so thousand dollars of a fully loaded 340i in the United States, which is wow. yeah, a lot of money. Now, the Genesis pricing has not yet been fully re- released, but in Canada that stood that the Genesis G70 was about $10,000 cheaper than it than this fully loaded, fully featured uh, 340i. And and the power is the same, right? Uh, 365 horsepower in the Genesis, and I think with the added power, it was 300 and, um, let's see, uh, hold on, I had my, I had the spec sheet here. Um, I think it was 355, um, and 365 is the, is the differences there. Or 360 and 365, in favor okay. of the Genesis. Um, and, you know what, the, the, BMW 3 Series has now, this generation of 3 Series has been around for quite a while, and uh, I think it's starting to show its age. In particular, I'm not as impressed with the interiors as much as I used to be, and that's because I think the layout is very familiar, um, and I'm not as impressed with the materials that BMW uses in their, especially in a nearly $70,000 Canadian uh, BMW 3 Series. It just didn't feel like anything special, especially after getting into something like a 5 Series, seeing what BMW is capable when they want to give you nice materials, good feeling uh, switch gear, and the 3 Series is just not capable of, of keeping up or at least showing that it's from the same brand as that 5 Series, which I think is a, is a drawback. In comparison, the G70 is, is really well done. It's absolutely perfectly finished. I'm so impressed with the way they... they um, outfit the vehicle, not just with the materials, which feel really nice. There's really nice quilted uh, stitched leather in the seats. There's uh, additional uh, accents on all of the knobs. They're like uh, spiky nabs, uh, spiky, I don't know how you want to describe it, a, a, a really nice texture on the uh, all of the knobs, which make the car feel more special, uh, feel more finished, like it, it, there was more care being put into it. And I'm really impressed with the G70s, um, performance it feels really good that engine is fantastic and you don't have to rely on a perform and an like an after purchase performance package to 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 kind of tune up this the this engine to do more now you've driven the the g70 before i don't know when the last time you've driven a six-cylinder three series is. has it been lately yeah uh, maybe within the last year you know uh, one other thing i wanted to point out so these two vehicles you can get a manual transmission with the bmw but you cannot get it with the six-cylinder version of the of the g70 yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that will that will change a lot of people's minds. But there is that. Um, I think there's a four cylinder manual version of the G70, which is out there, rear wheel drive version. I think it's a very specific model. Um, you've dro- you've driven that, right? 
Which one? Sorry, say that. A again. manual G70. Yeah, with the four with the four cylinder. And you thought that was pretty. I remember you being pretty high uh, praiseworthy of that, right? Oh yeah, I thought it outhandled a three series handily. I thought it was a great balance between. I mean, the three series has a nice chassis, but I found mm-hmm. that the G70, uh, the four cylinder version, just felt more in, in, interesting to drive than the four cylinder version of the three series. And I think they really put in a lot of time with that chassis to make sure that it could keep up or even more than keep up with the existing crop of Germans. It's it's really, uh, you know, when a company designs a car to take on the existing market and to surpass the existing market, that kind of puts the existing market at a bit of a disadvantage if it's done well. And right. I think that's a that's really obvious with the G70. I, I agree with you when talking about the six cylinders as well. Now, the straight six in the 340 is exceptionally smooth, very linear power. It sounded great with that performance exhaust, and there was no there was no chance when you would drive the car and say this is slow. That no, that does not happen. Um, with the G70 though, the same thing. Fantastic engine, but what surprised me more than the engine was the chassis and the feel of the vehicle was absolutely on point. And I think you're right. I think Genesis really uh, respected the benchmark in this class, being the three series, and really followed um, followed themselves into into making something more than competitive with the uh, with the three series. That what I'm trying to say is I'm also very much looking forward to the next generation three series, which I think we're supposed to see by the end of the year. Is it going to be that soon? I think so, yeah. Now, actually, this this generation, I think, has been around since 2012. Yeah, and the other, the other kind of weird thing about BMW with uh, the 3 Series is they've been very incremental in terms of updating the horsepower in mm-hmm. that in that six cylinder engine mm-hmm. and i don't believe the rated the posted ratings like yeah. i think that i feel like that's a consistently underrated car mm-hmm. and uh they do that to for a variety of marketing reasons and, and, and insurance reasons i'm sure but uh it makes me wonder about the genesis that that twin turbo v6 and just how much power might actually be inside of it because yeah. I, I if i'm not mistaken there's some dyno testing that's been done on that that engine and some very interesting results have come out of that both both of these cars do zero to 60 in four and a half seconds if not if not quicker than that which is really impressive for um luxury cars luxury sports sedans but the way they feel beyond just going in a straight line when the curves come is i think the differentiating factor and i really think the genesis is the more entertaining vehicle um to to take around take the long way home you know Yes, definitely. I completely agree with you. And it's it's going to be a surprise for anyone coming out of a, a current German luxury car to drive this car. And I hope, to... I hope they do give Genesis a chance because it really does feel like they put their, their homework with all of these cars. Um, the only thing that bothers me about both of the cars is uh, rear seat space is really uh, la- lacking. And this is something that I saw with the ATS. I remember the ATS being a, the Cadillac ATS being a fantastic to drive vehicle, but it was just limited in terms of in in more practical elements. What makes a, a sedan, a sports sedan, really interesting is the fact that they can fill so many different roles. They can be a luxury yeah, they, car, they can be a sporty car, they can be um, a, a somewhat practical family car if needed. And to me, the ATS had really no back seat. Now the Genesis no, is very, very small. And we were promised an extended version of the car, but then Johan was uh, let go before that actually happened. And that's a shame, honestly, because I think the ATS drove really well, um, really uh, old school in a way, really tight, um, but lacked in a couple of other ways. The Genesis G70 does not feel like it was limited in its design, and I was very happy with the way that it it, uh, it performed. 
Now, um, I just want to go back to talking about engines that are underrated. I took a look at some dyno results from Kia Stinger GT owners, and the Kia Stinger GT uses the same engine as the G70, and they're seeing 350 horsepower at the wheels. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, so there's no way it's 365 horsepower at the crank. There's definitely some, maybe a 50 horsepower difference there. Mm -hmm. So this is this is very likely a 400 horsepower engine. Um, is there any reason you think they would do something like that? Yeah, like I, I was mentioning earlier, it's it's about marketing and about marketing. Um, insurance. Um, it's about but, maybe convincing someone that an M vehicle, like uh, like when at least when if BMW was doing it, like an M vehicle is is worth the extra money. Well, 100%. That's definitely a huge part of it. And I think Genesis does it because they... I don't know if they intend to make a more powerful version of the G70, but it gives them room to do that if they want to. But it also makes them class competitive. It's not like someone's going to look at that and go, hey, that's too much. I'm not really looking for that kind of power. I'll I'll go back to the BMW showroom. You know, it, it keeps them in the conversation. And... The other thing is, if they have a 365 horsepower car that does 60 in four and a half seconds, people are like, "Wow, that's impressive for that level of power." You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 always better to over over deliver and under promise than the than the vice versa, right? So I think that's kind of what they've done with the G70 in its introduction. Um, the G70 feels really good. It's a tiny bit heavier than the BMW, about a hundred pounds heavier, which I don't think is that much, like that egregious, like that big of a uh, of a disappointment. Um, but one of the things that the the three series, I don't know if this is a, I don't know if this is a pro or a con. I want you to uh, let's let's talk about this. If you can outfit a three series with all of the features that you want, that you have to pay extra for, but you can get it exactly how you want it. Versus the G70, which is, it has packages, it has a, like different tiers of, of trim levels. What do you think is more appropriate? Would you like a custom-built vehicle to your sta- to your your standards, or would you like something that can either come with um, the, the full list of features, um, a, a couple less, or none of those features? Like, how, when, well, you, when it comes to choice, what do you think is a better idea? Let's go to the real world for a second, where you buy what's at the dealership. Right. So you end up what people end up buying or in, in BMW's case, what people end up leasing is what the oh. inventory happens to be at their closest dealer or at a dealer that the dealer can work with and, and bring the car in. Right. So you really don't get to order a car like you want it unless you're willing to wait a very long time. And even then, that can be a huge hassle. Uh, dealers are the ones who are, in some cases, ordering the cars, or they're being dictated to by headquarters. These are the packages that we want to sell the most of. Like, it's just like, you know, you can, you can never buy a base model Porsche Boxster, right? That vehicle doesn't exist. So Unless you order it and you're willing to wait, like, it's a, it's a pretty long time. I think it would be at least a month. No, I'm. I think we're looking at longer than a month. Yeah, <laughs> like a really, really long time. I said at least a month. Um, so you think it's it's more appropriate to have these different tiers, uh, and let the let the the dealership and the customer come to an agreement there, rather than put the customer at uh, a loss of time. And well, I I personally would like to be able to order whatever car I wanted, but mm-hmm. that's not the reality. So. Um, and another element that was really interesting is like some of these features, like I really wish in the in the three series, I, they should be tied into a package or they should be standard equipment. Wireless charging, for example, um, is it it is an additional feature that you you need to pay extra for. And to add more insult to injury, my phone wouldn't even fit in the the size accommod- that's that's sorted for that. Well, I, I, you know, wireless charging is not something that's universally available across all phones, so it's not really something that 
I my phone doesn't do it. I've had phones in the past that did, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not really a deal breaker for me. Um, but I do have a funny wireless charging story to tell you involving the M5. Okay. And uh, it, it so the M5, you know, it has the regular key that fits in your pocket nicely, and then it has that key you were talking about earlier, the the big key with the screen on it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That allows you to contact the car remotely and whatever. And it's totally useless, but um, very gimmicky and and very easy to market. Anyway, so I picked up the car and I was given the small key, and I drove around for like a couple of days. And um, I was sitting in a parking lot, and the there's a cover uh, just ahead of the cup holders on the M5, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I wonder what's under there. So I pushed the cover ahead. And sitting there on its charging pad was the full-size key. Oh, no! Yeah, so I anyone could have Hidden walked key. up to the... Yeah, it's a proximity proximity key. So right. anyone could have walked up to the car at any time while I was driving it during those two days, opened the door, and stolen the car. <laughs> the dealership All right, listen, just... if you're in Montreal, God bless you for not stealing that M5 yeah. or even attempting to open the door to that M5 that you... Yeah, I just want to say thank you to the universe for not stealing my press car. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it was a surprise to me. I guess the valet that I picked it up from had just left it in there to charge and, and they forgot. Um, anyway, I took it out. <laughs> it freaked me out quite Jeez, a bit. What a panic attack. Yeah, uh, I but was... maybe maybe this goes to show that the the panel for wirelessly charging the key might not... Maybe it shouldn't have a cover. <laughs> Um, and yeah, th- there's there's like there's all sorts of features like that that you need to pay extra for and a, an added price to it. Um, ours had that like really obnoxious bright red leather that I don't think, I don't know, it just didn't make me feel like a grown up. It just was super bright red and and was like cartoony in a way, and I wasn't into that. Um, I think Genesis is is really doing a good job right now. I'm eager to see what the new three series um, will come out with, assuming that BMW takes their rivals. Seriously, and um, we'll see what that what that's like. Hopefully, by the end of the year, I have one more uh, surprise car to talk to you about, Ben. What makes it a surprise? Because I don't think I told you about it until we until right now. Um, it's the brand new uh, 2019 uh, 9, Porsche 911 Carrera T. T. What does the in, T? What does the T mean? Uh, I don't know, but it means that <sighs> the car is uh, supposed to be the the lightweight the authentic version of the 911 that is so hard to find these days <laughs> what i'm going to tell you about it is that it's bright yellow it makes um are they all bright yellow sammy no i think you can get them whatever color you want <laughs> um and certain things inside the car don't make much sense because it has oh how do i describe them it doesn't have door handles it has little nylon straps to open the doors with yeah for weight savings right were handles that, really the, are, are handles like I've never taken a handle and held it in my hand. Is it a burdensome thing? <laughs> well, here here's here's the follow-up question. Did the car have air conditioning? Yes. Did it have a stereo? Yeah, it has dual zone automatic climate control. It has a stereo. Okay, and are those add-ons? Were they uh, options? Or does the T come without them, then you have to add them? Because you know, like the Porsche, I believe the Boxster Speedster, mm-hmm. I think that those were all deleted. It, it had a similar, it had the similar um, door panel thing, the door handles, they were, they were just pulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it had like a flat, I think it might even have been like a fabric door cover on the inside instead of a plastic panel. But, you know, it's an affectation. It, it, if the car comes loaded with other stuff, but it doesn't have door handles, I mean, that's just being cute, right? No, I, I think it comes with those things. It, okay, so then it's totally just an affectation. Yeah. Um, I I will say the car makes uh, 370 horsepower, 
339 pound-feet of torque. Um, let me see here. That means it's not as fast as like, or not, not as powerful as a Carrera S, I believe, which makes a little bit more horsepower. And I think that's a pretty interesting element. I've only had it for a few days. I haven't had the chance to drive it um, or test it thoroughly. So cut me some slack here, Ben. Can well, you... I'm glad you brought it up, despite being completely unprepared to discuss it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Good. Why are you so mean to me all the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Carrera S makes 420 horsepower, and this makes um, about 20 horsepower or less. I think that's a, a very interesting element to the car. Now, regardless of that, this is still an incredibly fast car. It is so much fun to drive. And I've got the manual transmission model. It has a seven-speed manual. Um, it also has the standard sport suspension, which is a little bit lower. It has a very short shift thrower on that uh, short shift throw on that um, on that transmission, and it also has real real steering, which is uh, pretty cool as well. Real real steering, really? Mm-hmm. Is it like is it a passive system or is it an, ac- an active system? Uh, it's an active system. I believe it goes in um, in contrast to the front wheels at low speeds, and then in parallel to the front speed, front wheels at high speeds. Okay. Um, it's it's so much fun. Uh, and I know this is something that we talked about with the Boxster GTS uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I said that this car had all of this extra power, and it felt much more capable, and it felt much more serious. And as a result, I didn't feel like I was I was I was playing with it as much. I just felt like I was I was loading it and going. Like I just felt like it was a weapon on the road. This 911 Carrera T is much more. I don't know what the word is. It's playful. It really feels goofy and fun. It's loud. It's uh, bright yellow. It's this great manual transmission that has automatic rev matching when you downshift um, in the sport modes. And there's just so much I don't know joy to be found in this car. And I don't know what part of it is the is making all of that happen. If it's the smoothness of the straight si- uh, of the flat six in comparison to the 2.5 turbo in the in the Boxster, if it's the fact that it's a slightly bigger vehicle and therefore is a tiny bit more comfortable and less um, um, what's the word I'm looking for nervous on the road, and that might be it too. This car also only weighs 3,142 pounds, which is about 100 pounds more than the than the Boxster 718 GTS that we drove, and I'm really impressed with what the um, the Carrera T has to offer. I, I love it. It's a fantastic car. Um, and I just found myself really enjoying it. However, a car that costs, it starts at $102,000 and doesn't have door handles really didn't impress other people who were not car enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that this is like... This is named. This is aimed at the Porsche Anoraks, right? Like, yeah, that's... enthusiasts are really. They'll probably get that, and nine eleven and nine eleven enthusiasts will probably get it. Like fanboys who know what that means and where you can, you know, you can get that that speedster model you were you were talking about that doesn't have anything. Like doesn't have air conditioning or a, a sound system. It, could, it it's kind of like an homage to those things. Or even the race cars, like the GT. I think the GT two and the GT three can be equipped in that way too, right? Yeah. So. Wild car. I found it what much more enjoyable than than the other uh, Porsche that I drove recently, the GTS. And I think that um, I think ni- the 911 has a, a new hero here, this Carrera T. However, it's very seriously fast, and I don't know if I can get used to that seven-speed manual transmission. Have you operated one of these manual transmissions before? Yes. It's weird. Am I the only one who not- thinks it's weird? 
it's not that weird. I mean, it takes getting used to. It takes at least a day or two of of driving to get used to it. Thankfully, what, what's what's throwing you off? Like, what's the weirdest part about it? Well, first of all, maybe it's because of how capable the vehicle is or how short um, each of the gears are. I feel like I'm constantly changing gears, and it feels like my hand is constantly active. Um, and that seventh gear is only accessible from sixth or fifth gear. You can't just go from like third when you can do a hundred, like a hundred a hundred miles per hour easily in third. And then you can't just slot right into seventh after that. It just doesn't work. You have to go into fifth or sixth first and then go into seventh. Um, you can't just like reach all the way over and no, jam it in. I've, jam I've, it in hard. <laughs> no, I believe you can. Jam it in. No, I, I don't think you can jam. do it. Ben. Just jam it. Stop, stop jamming it. I can't. You gotta. I can't. You gotta. You gotta work your way in. You gotta go with fifth and then sixth and then seventh, um, or fifth and then seventh. So it was very weird, but I will admit having that um, that automatic rev matching in sport mode is really good, and it's a very good feeling transmission. The, sh- the throws are very nice and short, and the car is just really natural feeling all around. I'm I'm really happy with with what Porsche has done with this car, um, and this generation of 911 might just go down in. Yeah, especially not the way, not in the same way that the past generation, one of the past generations had. Uh, I think the nine nine, oh six, didn't go down very well with with uh, enthusiasts. Well, it I, did at the time, but then everyone retconned the history to be the, <laughs> to make it the nine eleven that people don't like. Yeah, you know? exactly, the one that is uh, not as expensive as all the other ones um, on the well, used car market. So if if you if you happen to be a Porsche fan and you disagree with everything we're saying about the 911T or you want to uh, correct us on the M5 or you want to tell us the BMW rules over uh, Genesis, you can do that in a number of ways. Sammy, what's the easiest way for people to get in touch with us if they want to argue or tell us we're wrong? Definitely reach out to Ben um, on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you can reach him at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, you'll also see every week. The amount of tires that he transports with whatever press car he's got, which is always an in- interesting uh, development. I don't know, Ben, again, I don't know what you're doing with all these tires and why they have to be. Put I'm doing whatever I want to do with them, and you need to stop asking me questions. Dead drops around the city using your press cars. Um, but you can see him doing doing that and maybe getting clues as to wherever he's dropping off these tires, and uh, you can have a nice conversation with him. You can find me, on the other hand, on Twitter, which is a... a uh, I would love to call it a nice place to to talk to people. But it is the cesspool of the internet. It's getting rougher and rougher, and I like to. I'll stick it out. You can find me at Sammy underscore Ha, like uh, you're laughing. H A. You can also reach out reach out to us on our Facebook page if you just look at Unnamed Automotive Podcast, the Facebook page there, and you can send us a message or leave us a post on our uh, on our wall. That'd be great. And I also recommend you head to our website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com where you can subscribe to all of our podcasts and check out some of our bonus episodes. I think another one will be coming out real soon. Isn't that right? A very secret, super special bonus episode could be appearing this week. Very cool. So you might want to get on that um, so you get it first thing instead of waiting every weekend for it. And you can subscribe using all of your favorite podcast clients, including Spotify. Um, I prefer Pocket Cast. That's one of my favorite podcast clients. What do you use? And uh, you you can use iTunes as well. uh, And uh, you can get us on Google Play and the new Google Podcast app. I don't know what it's called. I think it actually might be called Google Podcast. It is just called Podcast or something. Incredibly creative. Yeah. I can't wait for them to try to copyright that thing. (laughs) So, yeah, get get in on all of that. And if you wanted to reach out to Ben in a less public 
way, you can email him. Uh, that's Benjamin at, what is it, BenjaminHunting.com? Yeah, something like that. My name at myname.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, stay tuned for some fun bonus action. Later on in the week, not right immediately right away. Well, it depends. I mean, maybe they're listening to this immediately before the podcast comes out, so don't discourage them. Okay.